Welcome to the ASCD Connect podcast, supporting you on your journey as a life-changing educator. Here's your host for today's program. Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony Rabora, the Chief Content Officer for ASCD ISTE. As we begin a new school year, teacher shortages continue to be a major challenge in U.S. school systems, with many schools reporting increases in turnover and difficulties in filling open positions. What can be done to address this critical problem, particularly at the school level? To get answers to this question, I'm joined today by Chris Torres, who is an Associate Professor of Education Policy and Leadership at the University of Michigan's School of Education and the co-principal investigator for the Educator Workforce Project in Michigan. A leading researcher on teacher retention issues, Torres is the author of an important article in the September issue of Educational Leadership entitled Repairing the Leaky Bucket. Welcome, Chris. It's great to have you on our program. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Happy to be here. So teacher shortages or increases in teacher attrition aren't new. They're a reoccurring problem in U.S. education, as we all know. But in your view, what's different about what we are seeing this time in this post-pandemic wave of shortages and retention problems? Yeah, it's a great question, Anthony. Thanks. Um, so it's true that many, uh, many districts have historically struggled, especially in low-income rural and urban districts. Historically, it's been really difficult to, to staff up. And I think a number of recent studies have portrayed major warning signs across the pipeline for teachers in particular. And just a few sort of indicators when I when I talk about pipeline, I'm talking about, you know, the supply of people coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, Matt Kraft at at the at Brown and Mimi Lyon have a have a great paper in Ed Working Papers. It's uh, out of Annenberg Institute at Brown that looks at I think fifty years of data or something. It's a great paper, but one of the headlines, one of many headlines is that the prestige of the profession is at its lowest point in fifty years. I, I could I could pick out some data from that paper if you wanted to, but that's that's the basic headline: is that um, prestige is at its lowest point in many years. The number of people entering teaching through teacher preparation programs is at historic lows. We see that here in Michigan, the state where I live, as well as across the country. So you're getting a lot fewer people believing that teaching is you know something they want to do just in general and, and kind of voting with their feet not to do it than we have historically. And then you look for the folks that do enter, right? There's been a lot of concern about job engagement and morale and whether that will lead to higher turnover. So you're seeing a lot in the news media. Just look at many of the headlines right now about burnout, about dealing with post-pandemic needs and behaviors from students, about chronic absenteeism about um, the politicization or the politics of schooling and, you know, culture wars and things like that. There's a lot of stress being put on educators in these last few years. And, you know, recently we've seen just this year, last couple of years during the pandemic, there we didn't see higher than average turnover from teachers. But this year, there are a number of different studies that are showing that teachers are leaving at higher than ever rates. In some cases, at, at record highs, Matt Barnum at, at Chalkbeat mm-hmm. did an analysis of turnover rates in across multiple states, and, and it's the highest it's ever been in some states. And so you're seeing that. And then in response to that, I think you're seeing some deprofessionalization of teaching mm-hmm. where 
you know, we're seeing that in order to fill the gaps and just get warm bodies in classrooms, we're needing to draw in essentially whoever can be in there. And so some of the districts where I've done a bunch of interviews have, have said, and, and charter schools have said, you know, a third of our staff is our substitutes. Um, and that's, that's how we're staffing up is by putting substitutes in as long-term substitutes and yeah. um, having to do that repeatedly. So yeah, that's really, really interesting and troubling. So on a policy or legislative level, are there any actions being taken or considered around the country to address these shortages that you're optimistic about or that you think could bring more people into the profession or support them in yeah. staying? Sure. Yeah, so there's a, there's a few. There's a lot of attention being put on grow your own programs right uh -huh. now. Essentially, you know, getting folks from who are living in the community to become teachers, which, you know, in theory, it's sort of like, well, we've got folks who live here, who, are, who know the kids, who know the community, who are, want to stay here, and will get them a degree, right, or, or get them in classrooms. Um, so there are a lot of policy efforts to grow your own programs off the ground across the country. And we are seeing efforts, they're not yet realized, but things like the teacher salary project, which is aimed at raising teacher pay at, at a national level, right? There are a growing number of studies that say that salary plays a big role in teacher mobility and exit, and that it's really quite effective at growing the supply of people. I just talked about the supply being low. One way mm -hmm. to increase that is to make it more attractive on the front end for people who are considering a career by reducing the costs of entry and also increasing salaries. So that there's there are efforts, but there aren't a lot. Here in Michigan, we're moving more towards weighted funding to support districts that disproportionately serve disadvantaged students. Um, okay. So that's another thing that some states are doing. Okay. But apart from the larger policy actions, your main argument in your article is that school leaders can play a significant role on their own in boosting retention rates in their schools, uh, maybe even more significant than they realize. Can you talk a little bit about the research on that? Yeah. So there are so many studies in education on this, but even beyond education, if you look at the general management literature, mm. you know, there's the term people leave managers, not companies. <laughs> Uh, that exists for a reason. There's a lot of literature done by, you know, Gallup as an organization on this, but we see this in education quite a bit where school leaders, as I said, measures of administrative support are some of the strongest predictors of whether or not a teacher stays at or leaves their position. But also a lot of the literature on retention talks about teachers' working conditions, right? What are, what's it like to work at the school? What's the climate like? What's the culture like? These are the things that make people happy or miserable in their jobs or somewhere in between. And so a lot of these things that are discussed in terms of teacher working conditions and some of the things I discuss in the article, a principal has the power to affect these things, whether it's through their things that they do or things that they frankly don't do. You can have a principal sitting in their office or dealing with particular problems and not being visible and through their inactions, they can affect culture as well. So principal has quite a quite a lot of power to affect working conditions, which are seen as critical for retention. So in the article, you do outline four overarching principles for increasing teacher report and retention in schools. But I'm curious about like on the day-to-day -day level, when you're working with a school or talking to teachers, are there indicators that can tell you that this school has a leader who's really providing a strong culture of support and growth for teachers? 
Yeah, great question. And I think this question makes me think back to when I was in New York City doing some teacher mentoring work over two summers. I, I visited dozens of schools, traditional public and high achieving charter schools in New York City over the course of a couple of summers. And I really got a sense of the variation in what school cultures were like in just in going into these different buildings. And I think just quite simply, when you go into a school that is vibrant where employees and students alike are happy and it feels positive. People are kind of welcoming you in. They are relatively transparent. They welcome feedback. The school leaders are relatively visible. They're in classrooms. They're greeting parents and students and generally building relationships and building trust. I think when you see some of these things, you can get a sense of what the school is like and how people feel about it just by being there. And on the flip side, in school cultures that are not as quite as healthy, there can be a sense that people are unhappy, that students and employees alike are not as happy. And I, I know that sounds quite simple, but it's one of those, you know, you, you step in there and you can tell sort of indicators. So for leaders who are interested in, in building cultures that support what you call teacher's sense of success, or actually that's a term you borrow from Susan Moore Johnson. Are there initial steps they can take? I know, you know there are a lot of new leaders coming in this year recently. Are there things that they can ensure they are moving in the right direction? Yeah. You know, I talk quite a bit in, or not quite a bit, but I have a section on kind of building trust. And that can be really complicated and context dependent. But I think one of the things that sticks out to me in the article and, and in some of the research I read and just in talking to teachers across the state is sometimes you talk to them and they sort of say, I don't really know where, what my principal does or what they're, yeah. where they are or what they do all day. And I think visibility and relationship building is really important to establishing and maintaining the trust that's necessary and so, you know, having a handle on instructional leadership, working to build trust, working to understand what it is, who your employees are as people, but also what it is that kind of drives their sense of success, I think is is really important and not just treating initiatives as, you know, well, I'm going to put this in place, this in place, and this in place, and it's going to kind of run itself, but working mm -hmm. to con continuously get feedback from the people who are doing the work and working to continually, you know, revise as, as you go along and working with people is really important to building and maintaining a sense of trust. So it's interesting. So in your article, you actually acknowledge that a lot of the ideas you outline on how leaders can be more supportive of teacher retention aren't really new. I mean, you put them together in a really right. nice format, but they're, they're things that have been said before. So I'm wondering why aren't they more commonly or consistently seen in practice? Are there barriers that prevent school leaders from building these kinds of learning cultures? Yeah, I, you know, being, being a principal is, I, I, I have never been one myself, even though this is an area that I study. But I'll, I'll be totally honest with you, Anthony, I did not have an interest in being a school leader because it is an unbelievably right. difficult job, right? Right, right. There's so many things that they have to juggle. And so I'm not, this is, you know, what I'm saying here is I empathize with school leaders because the job is incredibly difficult and complex. And so I just want to start with that. And so I think one reason you don't see 
a lot of these things is because, well, some of the things that I'm learning about in my current research project, as well as past research projects, is just you end up having to tackle lots of problems that come up, right? And spending a lot of time doing, let's, you know, in my shortages project, maybe you're covering for teachers that are absent or covering for vacancies, and you're spending a lot of your time doing that instead of instructional leadership, or you're dealing with, you know, a parent situation or a student behavior situation that warrants a lot of your attention and time, or you're dealing with Mm -hmm. something related to operations, and that takes you away from spending time in front of students, teachers, etc. And so I, I think it's just really, really difficult to manage all these different things. And so that's why I suspect we don't see as much of some of the things that are discussed in this article. That and some of these things require resources, right? You require, right. you know, sufficient levels of staffing. They require district support, perhaps, for getting substitutes for coverage. So there are a lot of things that need to kind of be in place to support leaders as well so that they can spend their time doing the right things. Yeah, I think that's an important point as we go forward. So we're recording this at the start of a new school year in August. Uh, Are you optimistic about the state of the teaching profession or at least about the potential for it to start to stabilize? I'm cautiously optimistic, and it depends on the state, right? Okay. (laughs) So here in Michigan, I think I can speak from Michigan because that's where I live. I think the governor here is doing quite a few things that are a step in the right direction. You know, there are increases in the budget. It's a historic budget here. More funding is going towards disadvantaged schools and districts across the state to support students that have greater needs. And I think a lot of school finance scholars have been saying this for quite some time, that if you have populations that, re- that have stronger needs, more money needs to follow in order to, for them to meet the standards that the state sets, right? So we see some of that. We're seeing some more funding going you know, for, for staffing that hopefully will help address some shortages. You're seeing grow your own models come up. We we still don't know what will happen with those, whether it's mm-hmm. an open question, whether, you know, alternate routes and grow your own programs are going to further deprofessionalize teaching or if they're going to be effective at recruiting high quality people and developing them and keeping them in the profession. And I do believe that teacher pay is again becoming really important for the so for the states that are looking to increase the supply of educators so that and in turn that will make school leaders jobs easier mm-hmm. <laughs> because they'll be getting you, you know they'll be able to select and hire high quality people you know those are policy efforts that school leaders need to be able to do their jobs well otherwise you know you might be stuck with a situation where your a third of your staff is substitute teachers right which I think a lot of folks can agree is not an ideal situation. So, so those are just a few things that I see here in the state. But yeah, it, it, it does depend on kind of the state level policy mm-hmm. efforts, I think. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see those things start to pan out. So Professor Christoris, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your ideas on this really important topic right now. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. To read Chris Torres' article in the September issue of Educational Leadership, go to www.ascd.org slash el. Thank you. <laughs>